Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rose Deanna and she, her pronouns, a program manager at Modern Classroom, and I am joined by two of my favorite implementers, Brandy and Pierce. Brandy is one of our mentors and our Slack moderator, so I've had the pleasure of working with her pretty closely this past school year. Welcome, Brandy. Hey. And I've also had the pleasure to be a thought partner for Pierce this school year and getting to know him and his classes better. Welcome, Pierce. Hi, thank you. It's so exciting to be in this space with you both, and thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Before we get started, how are you feeling today? Um, I'm doing great. I'm actually working from Hawaii this week. My sleep schedule is way off, so I'm pretty tired, but I'm really enjoying the views and the weather. So jealous. How are you doing today, Pierce? Oh, I'm I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm I'm recovering from a pretty brutal cold, but I feel like it's the first cold I've had in a long time because we just we just took our masks off in Massachusetts a couple weeks ago, and now everyone's getting sick. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm feeling a lot better than I was a couple days ago. Well, I'm glad you're feeling a lot better. And that is something that we didn't take into consideration, right? When we take when we take off the mask, we get all the other sickness that we haven't been getting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get started. So tell us more about who you are and how you started your modern classroom. Brandy, we can start with you. Okay. Um, so quick background. My degree is actually in engineering. I really enjoyed it in school and I thought that's what I was going to do. But um, in the field, I didn't really find it very satisfying and I was definitely not utilizing all of my strengths. So a lot of soul searching later, I ended up switching to teaching and moving out to Texas where I got an alternative certification. So I'm in my fifth year of teaching science now, although I've also had the pleasure of teaching algebra and engineering since I got the um, cumulative certification comprehensive um, for math, science and engineering. But yeah, so ever since my first year, I was looking for different ways to do things. I was the student that was very bored in class and a lot of my friends were struggling and I was trying to help them. So I've seen like both ends of it. So I wanted to be that teacher that was that would provide, you know, what my kids needed. So I started with Google Classroom, putting extra videos and links and helpful things on there. My First year teaching the math department in my school was starting mastery-based grading. So I watched what they did. And then my second year teaching, I got our chemistry department to do the same thing, which was really cool. My third year teaching, the world went crazy and we had our, (laughs) we went virtual, which gave me some extra time to work on my practice. And through that, I came across the famous Edutopia video. I looked up the school and was so disappointed to find out that Kareem (laughs) didn't work there anymore. And I just Googled his name to find out like what he was doing because I wanted to talk to him. I was like, this is, this is awesome. I want to know what to do. And I found the Modern Classrooms Project. I was so, so excited to see like the free course and that all the resources were there. So I grabbed my other chemistry teacher, Jenny, and I grabbed an English teacher, Steve, who I bounce ideas off of all the time, drug them with me through the rabbit hole, and we never looked back. 
I love that journey for you, Brandy. I don't think I ever knew that. So that was that was really good. Thanks for sharing. And Pierce, what about you? Um, well, interesting, Brandy. I, I have actually have an economics degree as an undergraduate. And uh, then I went and spent most of my 20s playing in like bluegrass bands. And so that doesn't make any sense. But I eventually found my way to a middle school teaching. <laughs> um, and I did that. I did that for a while um, and eventually made my way to this uh, high school position at uh, New Liberty Innovation School in Salem, Mass. And um, my my title is humanities teacher. So it's kind of a blend of English and history. And um, so I, I started there um, at the start of the 2020-21 school year. So I'm just finishing up my second year um, in that role. And we we had some some really uh, sort of forward thinking folks, Holly O'Leary and Jenny Clock at our school, who were trying to figure out um, last year how to solve some of the attendance issues that we have at our school, and and just trying to think about the best way to meet the needs of our students. And they they also came across, I think, the Edutopia video, and um, and we started working with Modern Classroom last year, um, and uh, we're still going strong this year. That Edutopia video, I feel like it just went so viral, and I'm so glad that it um, it got to a lot of people's hands. So welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. Um, and so here we go. For this episode's topic, we're talking about self-pacing in a non-traditional school setting. So Pierce, can you tell us more about your school, like demographics, class sizes, tech, anything really that you want to share? Sure. So yeah, we're, the title of the school is New Liberty Innovation School, and the innovation schools are a... Um, a designation in Massachusetts, um, sort of within within school districts. So we're a public school, but not a charter. Uh, but we basically have the ability every five years to kind of reimagine ourselves and, and kind of apply for um, all, whatever autonomies uh, from the district that we we feel we need to meet our mission. So um, so we have a lot of flexibility around our schedule and our curriculum and staffing and all kinds of things um, that make it possible for us to do what we do. Um, and we're really meant for students and families, high school students, not, not only from Salem, Mass., but from the surrounding communities who are looking for something a little different from the mainstream. Um, we are a competency-based school from the outset when, when it was founded about 10 years ago. We've been competency-based, so that means for academics, we have a lot of flexibility around when and how students can show what they can do. Um, we also, uh, we, we think of ourselves as kind of a, a three-pillared school where academics is one of the three pillars. A second one is a really robust and trauma-informed counseling department and coursework around that material. We call it our essential habits curriculum. And then the third piece of what we do is the college and career readiness, where we really make a big deal about trying to think about post high school plans, um, getting kids into internships and job shadows and really customized planning uh, for what they want to do after high school. Salem itself is a pretty diverse city. And uh, we have only about six, uh, we, we, we max out at 65 students our enrollment. So we're tiny, tiny little school. Um, class sizes range from about 12 to 20 at the most, but um, our attendance is such that we often don't have more than eight or 10 kids in the room at, at a time. 
And I really like those three components of your school as well, kind of just making sure that we touch base in the different parts of our students' identities, right? So the college and career readiness as well. It's like that trauma-informed teaching. And because we're looking for something that's non-traditional, because, you know, the traditional schools don't really work for everybody. So this is a great option. I I didn't even know that you you only had 65 students in your school. I don't think I ever knew that. And I should have probably known that a long time ago. But thank you so much, Pierce, for sharing that. Brandy, what about you? Um, So I work at a virtual public school here in Texas. So everything is 100% online except for state testing. Students actually have to come on site to take those. But it works just like any regular public school except that it's online. So we have a lot of students um, that didn't feel comfortable going back, you know, with the mask mandate being lifted. We have students that just like work better at home. Maybe they have social anxiety. Maybe it just works better for their schedule. Maybe they're more independent. We have all kinds of students. We have multilingual students. We have students with 504 plans and ARDS just like at an in-person school. I personally have about 210 students right now. That's actually gone down a little bit. Um, and that's just in my my one class. So I'm teaching ninth grade physical science this year. The other thing that I found very different is that students and teachers are encouraged to have like a texting relationship. So, you know, an in-person school, like you never would get a student's phone number and text them. But here... They want us to actually give out our cell number so that students can have another avenue to reach us since it's online and we don't see them every day. So we made um, most of us get like Google voice numbers. That's what I have right now. And it's just posted everywhere. And so I'll have students texting me questions and helping them out in that way. Yeah, and it and it's interesting, right? Because I feel like with Pierce, Pierce was saying twelve to twenty students in the classroom, and then when I found out that Brandy teaches two hundred and ten students. it's very and it's not like it's broken up into like different classes of 20 to 25 it's they're all lumped together in one class yeah and I know that Brandy you and I were trying to um figure out how self-pacing would work as well with 210 students, right? Because I mean, again, that's an overwhelming amount of students. I know the most amount of students I've taught when I taught in Baltimore City, I had 126 students, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And I thought that that was a lot. So yours is like double that number really. And so um, I'm so interested in seeing how self-pacing looks for you, for you and your students really. So Brandy, take it away. So self-pacing is pretty much built into the system they have asynchronous time and synchronous time. So we have live sessions at the high school level um, because I'm not a state tested subject. I just get them twice a week in my class and some other classes will have them more and have like goal sessions. But for science, uh, we have two sessions a week. They're broken up into two sections that are supposed to be split somewhat evenly, but because it's alphabetical, it I have like 80 in one and 130 in the other. (laughs) And during the synchronous, we do kind of have a typical class style, but then the asynchronous is really where the self-pacing kind of shines. In the course, they have daily lessons for the student to complete, but of course it's not the nice must-do, should-do, aspire-to-do that we do in modern classrooms. So I wanted to kind of bring that to the table, especially because the only 
lesson material that they had was like a reading material. And even though it does have a lot of visuals and sometimes there's manipulatives, a lot of my students don't like reading or they struggle with reading. And so they would just skip those. So I break it up and give them a lot of additional stuff. Uh, they get a link to a slide. And on the slide, I've got the learning objective. I've got some must-do assignments, some should-do assignments, um, and an aspire-to-do assignment. And then I've got a link to a post-lesson survey. And so that's what you and I were kind of bouncing around ideas on how to track it. So we got the post-lesson survey this semester that really gives students a chance to reflect on what they learn, give me feedback on how they're doing, and I can, thanks to the magic of spreadsheets, I can track who has completed what lessons. Yeah, and that was like a whole beast on its own, right? I know you were so excited when you finally figured this out for uh, your large group of students. And so I was excited with you because I don't think I would have figured that out. Um, and so, Pierce, what about you? How do you handle or what does self-pacing look like in your classroom? I've, I've experimented with a few different things um, since, since, and obviously the, the nature of, well, not obviously, the, the way that school has been operating, at least in, um, in our part of the world, has really you know, been through a few different uh, iterations in the past year and a half. So we've kind of been adjusting as we go here. But, but we, the school and the district uses Schoology as, as the kind of platform. Um, so all, all the assignments can be posted there. And so last year we were just kind of running everything through Schoology. We had students who weren't coming into the building at all. We had students who did kind of a blend. Um, and then we had some students who came in more often, but this year, you know, we're not doing remote, um, for the most part. And, um, and we've really found, I've really found that students are pretty fatigued, um, from all the kind of online Chromebook stuff in the past couple of years. So I, we, I put everything on Schoology because there is maybe like 10% of my students who still want to work from home sometimes and pull assignments off of the platform. But the vast majority of my students have really expressed over and over again that they would prefer to work with pencils and paper and books as opposed to, um, you know, stuff online and, and even, um, even videos, it's been a little harder this year than last year to even get kids to, to sort of do that, to sort of learn via video. So, so we've got, we've got assignments up there, but I also have a folder system in the classroom, um, super kind of organized, um, where all the assignments for the unit are, are accessible at all times, no matter where you are in the unit, you can kind of find where you are. And in terms of like a pacing tracker, um, last year that was sort of all online and accessible via computer. This year I've actually gone kind of low tech and put it just on regular old chart paper on the wall with little check boxes and kind of um, leaving it up there so that students don't have to open a computer and, and I don't have to dedicate my projector to that. It's just all sitting there. And they can come in and look at the chart, see where they're at, and, and kind of grab what they need from their folder and, and get to work, ideally. We also use little entry tickets, we call them. I don't know if other people call it that, but we kind of, it's kind of like a do now, of course, where students, uh, you know, we well, every day kind of ask them how they're doing, but then also ask them to kind of check in and figure out where they're at in the unit. And then I like to give them a third question, uh, like a prompt of some kind that connects with 
what we're studying in some way, something that they could, um, something they could respond to no matter where they are in the unit. A lot of times kind of dealing with, you know, key concepts or vocabulary or essential questions, kind of circling back to the essential questions and trying to see if we can add anything to our understanding of what we're, what we're getting at. So that's basically how it looks. It's pretty low fi compared to, you know, how I started out, but it's actually, you know, it's working fairly well. Students seem to feel like they can figure out what they need to do when they come into the room. And, that, and that's really all that matters to me. And I love that, Pierce, that you were able to be responsive to your students' needs um, and you listen to them. And so I'm sure they feel valued and supported that way. So I really love how you switched from a lot of tech to low tech and that modern classroom is still able to happen with low tech, right? And so you said a couple of great things here. Um, the video fatigue is real. I know when I was implementing that in my classroom, my students felt it and I felt it. And so we would take breaks. I would incorporate some like funny jokes in the Ed Puzzles. We would watch the Ed Puzzles together just so that the students um, felt like there were different uh, options for instructional videos. And so I really, really just love the fact that you are responsive with your students' needs, to your students' needs, as well as, you know what, you're going to put it up on Schoology just in case, right, for those students who still want to do it online, they have that. And that's kind of where you housed all of your resources, which I think is also just beautiful because now learning can happen anywhere. So even if your students were inside the classroom and they wanted to just check back and see what they learned again, they could access those in Schoology, which I think is really great. Yeah. I, I also just wanted to mention, you know, I've, I've just sort of figured out that the directions on the assignments, it makes a big difference. So rather than having to click on a video and me kind of model what I'm looking for on a, on a given assignment or whatever, I, I've tried to be, make the directions really crisp and clear so that you can actually figure out what to do, um, you know, from the directions, put the, make sure that the vocabulary is really explicitly on the, on the paper, um, and then I also just like returned to my roots as a middle school ELA teacher. Um, and just like started really relying on anchor charts, just like good old, good old anchor charts on the wall, um, as a way to kind of make, ha have them be able to get their notes, learn, you know, internalize certain concepts, um, independently without me having to, you know, be teaching them for each individual lesson. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct about directions. I know my colleague, Emily, I always talk about her, I know, but we always had very concise directions because we knew that if we had wordy directions, our students wouldn't read it. So it was just straight to the point of what they needed to do. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do that. And we practiced it over and over again. So students were clear with what we expected. And so I think that's a really good point, Piers. I appreciate you sharing that. And anchor charts are also... Uh, amazing um, resources for students to utilize whenever they need, right? So middle school, elementary school, high school, I think anchor charts are definitely super useful. I also really like the idea, Pierce, that you added a third question in your, in your entry ticket about just kind of aligning or asking them an open-ended question about the content and the skills that you're teaching in, in class. I don't think I did that on my own SEL do now. Um, and so I would have definitely added that because I think, you know, it's great, right? It's a retrieval practice. You can kind of see where students are at based on that question or even just see what their misconceptions and assumptions are based on the question that you ask. So thank you for sharing that. It's a really great idea. 
You're welcome. All right. And so um, share with us one to two celebrations and challenges of self-pacing. I know that we kind of already voiced some of that, uh, but if you could just reiterate or just share anything else, Pierce, what would be one to two celebrations and or challenge about self-pacing? The thing that I think is so important about it in our school and probably in just in any school that, that runs classes this way is, is just normalizing the idea that folks, that students are going to be in different spots at different times. You know, whereas when I was teaching in a traditional school, it was like, if you weren't, if you missed a day, you came back and you were, you know, you were kind of, you had this stigma of being behind and you'd have to stand for recess to get caught up or whatever. Um, but what I just love about, about this system and about like the, the way that modern classroom deals with this sort of naturally occurring thing, like students miss class, they miss school, they miss stuff or whatever, and they work at different rates at different paces. And that's just sort of normalizes all of that. So if you're a little behind, you're among many who are a little behind. If you're on pace, good for you. If you're ahead, fantastic. But it's not like this, you know, this sort of negative uh, association of being be- of being behind in this way that is like considered not normal. I don't know. That's the biggest thing that I think is is important about this system. Whether it's uh, whether it's happening through high tech or low tech means is is uh, is that normalization factor. And even as an adult, sometimes I'm a hot mess, <laughs> and so I'm going to need more time to process things that I need to do or learn. Right, and so I really like just the fact of normalizing that life happens, normalizing that there's so many disruptions and distractions happening in our lives. And you're right about self-pacing. That Self-pacing allows that. Self-pacing allows you to just kind of take a breather whenever you need a breather, right? Kind of, yeah. And, you know, obviously, I don't know if you can kind of read between the lines, but our students have a lot going on in the background of their lives and have been on the receiving end of a lot of kind of social inequities and, and just, you know, schools that kind of demand that they keep pace with no excuses are acceptable. I think I think those are the very kinds of schools or kinds of attitudes that have not worked for our students. So it's, I think it's a really big part of what makes, makes our school, you know, work for kids is that, is that we're not bringing that. It's not, it's not that kind of environment. And, and, and I think that's, that's really key. Yeah. And I'm really glad that students have that option to go to a, to a school that's like yours. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Brandy, what about you? One to two celebrations or challenges about self-pacing with 200 students? <laughs> yeah. Um, so doing the post-lesson surveys and figuring out how to track who was doing it in itself was a huge celebration, but mix that with Google Voice and a Chrome extension and I'm able to quickly and easily send positive text messages to guardians based on how their student is doing. So if a student is completing all of their lessons or majority of their lessons, I'll send occasional like positive texts home because we always have to do all those negative phone calls about how so-and-so is missing this, so-and-so is really behind. So I really like having that positive message home. And I've gotten a lot of good feedback from the students and the parents. So that's been really fun. Um, My biggest challenge is getting students to participate in the lessons because they're not graded. The only things that are graded in the course are labs and unit exams. So my average participation is about 
30%, even after I started offering bonus points. So for every lesson that they do, that's two points on their unit exam for that unit. I still only have about a 30% of my students participating, which is disheartening, but I'm working on it. So I mean, it's it's definitely a tough thing, right? I mean, this is, it speaks to a lot of educators, just that um, there's a struggle with trying to get students to participate in lessons that are not graded because we've just always graded everything, right? And so if there's no grade, then we don't have to do it. (laughs) And I think we're just, we're shifting that mindset slowly, but surely. And I know, Brandy, you and I talk about tracking data all the time. Uh, And so I'm really glad that you're able to track data with yourself pacing and and being able to see like, oh my goodness, there's only 30% who are really participating in these lessons. And so trying to navigate and manage like, okay, how can I get more motivation or how can I get more buy-in from students. So I really like those conversations that are the reflection that you're doing. And also just thank you for bringing in caregivers and families and guardians, right? That's really important that we communicate with families as much as we can, just so that everyone is on the same page. There's transparency about what we're learning in the classroom. And so I I love that you brought in families and caregivers as well, just to send those, those positive, um, those positive, emails or texts. And I know that I remember you sharing with me, like you figured out how to do your Google voice and a Chrome extension to send positive messages automatically, which I thought was so fascinating because I used to do that individually. (laughs) So I'm sure now it's a lot more efficient uh, and not as time consuming. So that's really, really cool. Yeah. Figuring that out, I've been able to communicate a lot more with the guardians and the caregivers, which has been phenomenal because we spend so much time with the students. We're such a big part of their lives. Like I feel like we're all part of a team, all the teachers and the caregivers, like we're all on the same team. So I try to keep open communication, which is a lot for you know, 210 students. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit, not too overwhelming. <laughs> but I, I try. <laughs> so, um, okay. So we'll move on to our next question. How are your students responding to self-pacing so far, Brandy? I know you just started implementing the, the, the tracker. How are your students uh, feeling about it? I think the self-pacing works really well for our students. Like we said, a lot of the students that are doing online school, it's because like they either have a lot going on or they have social anxiety. Maybe they got bullied at in-person school. Maybe they have anxiety about the mask mandate being lifted. And so a lot of our students struggle with depression or anxiety, or they have a medical condition, or they have like extra responsibilities at home. So they have good days where they're able to like get a lot done. They've got a lot of energy or a lot of time. And then they have not so good days where maybe they're like feeling overwhelmed or whatever medical condition is flaring up or their responsibilities are kind of taking over. So this just, it, I mean, like Pierce was saying with the high absence, it's kind of like having a lot of absences, but when they have their good days and they're there, they know what to do to get the learning and complete their assignments And then when they're not there, they don't have to stress about all the work that they're missing because they know it'll be there when they come back. So, Brandy, just a follow up question. Um, Are students, the students that you have, have they been doing online school for a while or do you have some students where this is their first year doing all virtual it's about 50-50. So the virtual school, my, I mean, this is my first year at the virtual school. So, But my understanding is we had an influx with COVID and everybody going back to in-person school and then lifting the masks. 
we had a lot more people come to the virtual side of things. So about half my students have been going to virtual school for more than just this year. And about half, this is their first year. And I'm sure there are some challenges with that as well. And I feel like we could determine like, oh, who's been on, who's been in an online school for a while versus like someone who really needs a lot more time um, and support to get used to online school. Because I know definitely when I started working remotely, I struggled mm-hmm. <laughs> with my schedule. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, Pierce, how about you? How, how are your students responding to the charts that you have in, in your class? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, th- we're, we're on an up upward trajectory um it's this is the best semester yet i should knock on something but um <laughs> but so far you know just uh, in general i think i think we're slowly coming out of this this um really traumatic global experience that we've all been through it's i mean it's just been brutal as everyone knows for mental health of students it's been brutal for families uh so much trauma in so many ways um so it's it's taken a while, you know, we've been trying to really, really adjust and, and flex what we do and make it work for students and families in every possible way that we can think of. But nevertheless, like we were you can't solve, you know, trauma necessarily just by changing, um, changing a few things about school. So, so it's taken a while to, I think, get this sort of critical mass of students to sort of generate that that positive momentum. But it's starting to this this winter and this spring, I feel like we're starting to see a real uptick um, with of students who are comfortable at school again after having been uncomfortable for so many reasons, and um, and teachers kind of settling in finally a little bit after all the all the wacky things that we were trying to figure out how to do um, when things went remote and the, the systems, you know, we're working out the kinks of our systems and finding kind of the streamlined way to get our work done and still be creative and joyful about, about the, the things we're doing. And um, so I think, I think we're, we're in a good place. Your question was about students, how they were responding. And I'm talking about teachers, but, um, but I think <laughs> no, that, our, that our students, <laughs> the students, the students are responding better, I think, because, you know, they're hopefully starting to feel more and more comfortable being back in school and, and, uh, and staff as well are starting to sort of get their legs under them a little bit after, after a year and a half of topsy-turvy. Yeah, it's definitely an adjustment. Um, And like he said, this, you know, the pandemic, the global pandemic that's happening, it's very traumatic, you know, and like you said, you voiced um, and you shared students are going through it, families and caregivers are going through it. Paris and Brandy, teachers are going through it too, you know, and sometimes we forget like teachers are also human beings and we're also going through a whole bunch of stuff because of this pandemic, because of life. So um, that's really great to hear that it's on the come up. I'm excited to hear positive things and that's really great because I know that Pierce, you know, you and I have had conversations where it's like, okay, this isn't working. What can we do? What is another thing that we can try? What is another thing that we can try? And you were constantly playing around with what would work with your students and your in your classes. And so I appreciate your openness for that and you, and just the flexibility that you've had this whole school year. Um, and thank you for sharing. So listeners, we're going to take a quick break. Um, and so when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about self-pacing in a non-traditional setting. 
Hi, everyone. It's Kareem here from the Modern Classrooms Project. I just wanted to share some exciting news about our big virtual summer institute this summer, the summer of 2022. Now, as many of you all know, the summer is one of the most popular times for folks to learn our model. It's a time where folks can take a step back from their normal classroom experience and really rethink and redesign their approach to teaching and learning. And this summer, we plan to train 3,000 educators this summer. Now, educators come through a variety of ways. You can enroll individually. You can enroll through a school and district partnership. And this year, we have some pretty awesome regional scholarship opportunities. These are scholarship opportunities for educators. If you're located in D.C., New York City, Connecticut, Chicago, Seattle, the Twin Cities, or Tulsa, these are folks who can just apply if you're an educator in these communities. And if you get accepted, you get a full scholarship to our Summer Institute and some really great perks, including a $500 stipend. So check them out. You can just go to modernclassrooms.org backslash scholarships to see the right regional scholarships. And you can just go to our website and you'll see at the top announcement bar, you can learn more about our virtual summer institute, see the variety of ways you can roll individually or collaborate with us on a school or district partnership. I hope everyone's doing all right. Good luck with the rest of the year. Thank you for all that you do. All right. And now we're back with Pierce and Brandy. So Brandy, uh, we mentioned again over and over that you teach over 200 students. And we talked about the sheets that you created and automated for your students. Tell us more about that as well as, you've, as, well as how you've managed that so far. Uh, yeah. So I use Google Forms and Google Sheets just because the last school I was in was Google. So I got really comfortable with all of that. So for the Google form at the end of each lesson, they have to enter in their student ID, which hopefully they put in the correct number because that's how I track if they completed it or not. Um, they, I also have them give first and last name and then they tell me like how they did on the learning objectives, which parts did they do the must do, should do, aspire to do, what they found most helpful um, then two open-ended questions where uh, I ask them, what else do you need to know more of? What do I need to go over in class? And anything else that you'd like me to know? I get the results. So with Google Forms, if you're not familiar, you can look at the results and you can put the results in a Google Sheet. You can either start a new sheet or you can add it as a tab to an existing sheet. So I add it to an tab on an existing sheet. So I have one sheet for the whole unit. There's an overview page. It's got the students' IDs. They're, we call them learning coaches, but they're guardians, phone number, students' first and last name. And then across the top, I've got, you know, lesson like 4.01, lesson 4.02. And then underneath, it'll say complete or incomplete based on if the system finds their student ID on the tab associated with that lesson. And then because when I started the bonus points, I also have a column that counts them up and then another column that multiplies that number by two so I can see how many bonus points to add to their unit exam. I really like that, right? So I, I think you created a system that works for you. I have a follow-up question about revisions. Do students know when to make revisions? Is that what the incomplete is? Incomplete is just if they haven't... Well, incomplete is if they haven't filled out the post-lesson survey, which to me tells me that they haven't done the lesson like at Got all. It. Got yeah. it. Okay. But uh, revisions, I'm glad you asked about that because I forgot to mention that one of the beautiful things about being able to track it is when a student fails an exam and comes to me and asks for a redo, I can look and I can see if they actually have been participating in the lessons or not. 
they have to go back and I only make them do one of the lessons they get to pick. Some of them choose to do more than one. So they have to do one of the lessons and the review lesson. So a total of at least two, and then they can earn a second retake. And if they don't do well on the second retake and want to earn a third, that's when I make them go back and complete every lesson in the unit to earn that third retake. Yes, that sounds that sounds that sounds like a plan that that works for you and your students. And I, I really love that you utilize that complete and incomplete to figure out like, okay, you failed your assessment. So let's take a look at why exactly that happened. So that's really, really, really cool, Brandy. And so Pierce, we've talked about this. You teach an older alternative school, um, New Liberty, which is an awesome school uh, with a pretty interesting schedule. So, you know, I've talked about challenges with student motivation. How do you keep your students motivated and engaged in your self-paced classroom? Well, there's a, that's a bunch of things that go into it. I, I think um, we, it's a, it's a little bit of a cliche, but we, we think a lot about relationships. Um, the mantra is that we have at our school is reach before you teach. And, uh, you know, if you, these, these are students who aren't going to respond really to like any kind of pressure if they're, if, if you don't already have a kind of a bond of, of connection, um, at the interpersonal level. So, so that's, I think the really first and most important thing that we think about at our school is really connecting with students on that level. Um, in terms of, um, well, and then secondly, you know, just the, for me, the, the vibes in the classroom are, I think really important. The lighting, yeah, I got a bunch of lamps in there and, and I got music going. Um, I got house plants. I got student art on the wall, and just sort of really trying to make it a a friendly and and kind of living roomy sort of environment, as opposed to like a, a classroom sort of feel. Um, that, I don't know if that motivates students, but hopefully it gets them to sort of start to feel more comfortable. Um, in terms of in terms of modern classroom moves, we talked about this idea of like having having pacing trackers that are kind of permanently installed on the wall. So I have these like laminated, oversized graph paper charts where students can kind of go up after they finish a, an assignment or a lesson. They can go up and kind of with a whiteboard marker, a dry erase marker, kind of check off the assignment for themselves, which is motivating for some, not for everyone, but some students kind of do seem to enjoy that sense of accomplishment. Um, I got, a, I got like sort of clothesline yarn strings going every which way in my room with student work hanging, um, you know, ex exemplary work. I have a whiteboard dedicated, I call it my wow board where I kind of shout out students who are on pace or ahead of pace. Um, so those are all factors. I would say super clear indications of credit. My, my students are really pretty focused on like, what do I have to do to graduate from high school? And, um, so they want to know for any, any piece of any, if they get themselves into the classroom, they sit down and they're going to like focus in and get something done. They want to know like, how does this move me closer to my high school diploma? So we, I kind of try to make it really clear how it all fits together in, on their credit. I try to, you know, for a lot of students are pretty disengaged when they first arrive. Um, or at least that, you know, school has not worked for them in the recent past, and so really try to scaffold down as far as necessary um, to sort of get them some small wins, you know, to get build up some momentum. So a lot of audio, audio books, a lot of graphic organizers, sentence starters, anything I can do to kind of make it doable and kind of give them credit for these little, little things that they, they do and try to build up some wins before we start to dial up the rigor 
once there's a little more trust there and a little more positive feeling about about what they're capable of. So those are some things. I also, you know, have some rewards for students who are on pace. They can, you know, read in a group or work outside the classroom if they're on pace. A lot of students gravitate towards our cafeteria, which is which they're not supposed to do. But if they're on pace, then I let them do it. Uh, I let them pick the music if they're on pace. Um, give them a lot of choice in the projects that they that I assign. And I even um, if students are really not into the material, then I I will um, I have so few students, especially compared to you, Brandy, that we can we can sort of customize assignments for for students. If they are not interested in one topic, I can get at the same standards by, or the same skills by, you know, giving them some kind of independent research project, or I have a student who, who writes his own songs. And so I'm trying to figure out ways to kind of use his songwriting in my class to give him credit for what he's doing um, already. So those are, those are some of my moves that I try to keep kids engaged and motivated with. And these are all, I swear, Pierce, you're speaking my language and I just have such feel good feelings right now, (laughs) just listening to you talk about your classroom. I think the biggest thing that I got out of that is that you empower your students to take control of their learning um, and that you are not a gatekeeper. You are a thought partner for them and, and you listen and you value them and you create those vibes. Energy and vibes are super important, right? So creating a welcoming and soft uh, teaching and learning environment is really important as well as just, you know, um, pivoting, right? That's been my favorite word lately is pivoting. So if something doesn't work, um, having those conversations with students and really trying to figure out what could work, right? So making it culturally relevant and culturally sustaining as well as just like knowing your students. I, I love that peer. So, and that's great. And you know, when students know that you care, they will do about anything and everything for you. Um, and they'll continue to be successful, which I absolutely love. So here's the next question. What is a tip that you have for teachers who teach at a non-traditional school setting when it comes to self-pacing? Pierce, we can start with you. Um, my, my tip is probably most relevant to humanities or English teachers, since that's what I do. Um, I've just found that um, that right now, right now in one of my classes, we're reading uh, "Born a Crime" by Trevor Noah, and I'm finding that it's working pretty well. And I think it's because it's a text that there is an arc to the whole book, which you know we're reading. But there's such a high sort of churn rate at my school of, of students, you know, jumping, arriving mid semester or stopping out mid semester. It's really, I think it's really important, or it's really works well if you have a an anchor text for a unit that works as a long form like a book but it also each kind of chapter or lesson kind of works on its own as well so that students can kind of um jump in um midstream if if you choose to do that or if they do miss some days of school um, you can decide whether to, at times, kind of bring the whole group together and read something together and kind of generate that that sort of communal feeling of, of interpreting something together and reading something together, which we all know, all, or at least all of us English teachers know, that's such an important positive energy builder. Um, but then you can also you can also do it as a, in a self-paced way, but to sort of be able to, to kind of straddle those two approaches as necessary works really well if you have a text that can be read either you know everything in order or you know a little bit here a little bit there and it still makes sense so that's my tip 
And stories bring everyone together, I feel like. So that's a great tip. Thanks, Pierce. What about you, Brandy? Uh, Just try stuff. Like, just go for it. Just try it. Uh, Last semester, you know, I first started trying to add in these supplemental materials like lesson videos and mastery checks and extra things to help my students have alternatives to the reading. And it was not pretty when I first started, but we made space to get feedback from students. So at the end of every unit, we do a Nearpod in the live session where we would reflect what went well, what didn't go well, what am I doing that they like and find helpful? What am I doing that's not helpful? And slowly my students helped me um, figure out things that worked better for them, figure out a better organizational system that worked for them. And yeah, but you know, you're not going to get that unless you just start, unless you just try. I love that. Try stuff. Just try it. Just try (laughs) stuff. I know we shouldn't be afraid of failure, right? Failure is part of our learning um, process. And so embrace, embrace trying out different things, embrace trying out and failing. And that's also okay. So how can our listeners connect with you, Brandy and Pierce? Um, honestly, if you just Google my name, Brandy Netherton, uh, my website pops up, my blog, my Twitter, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Brandy Netherton on Facebook and my LinkedIn will pop up. So you can connect with me on any of those things. I'd be more than happy to accept a connection. Uh, in my case, if you Google Pierce Woodward, you get this, this much younger than me guy who makes jewelry and is like (laughs) extremely successful at it. So (laughs) <laughs> you're better off um, tracking me down from my school website, New Liberty New Liberty Innovation School. You can find it on the Salem, Mass. Uh, Public School District website. And then you can find my email address there, which is very long, but it's Pierce Woodward at NewLibertySalem.com. I love that. Thank you so much again for spending some time with me today, Brandy and Pierce, and sharing your expertise and experiences with our listeners. So listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 85. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org. And you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj. That's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.